Hello and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm the pastor of faith. We're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We're based out of Shelton, Washington. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back in my days as a hospice chaplain at Marcus Daly Memorial Hospital, we had what was called the Standards of Excellence. These were values and behaviors that reflected and demonstrated the commitments of the hospital, things like professionalism, accountability, safety, teamwork. Going back even further, I learned the values and behaviors of the Boy Scouts of America. Can you say it with me? A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. The Bible passage we're looking at today, Romans chapter 12, reads a little bit like the Boy Scout law or an organization's statement of values. Now, some of us really like lists like these. We get to check the boxes, get an A, at least for effort. I know what's expected of me. Well, this passage from Romans tells us what is expected of us as Christians. I will tell you that this conversation is going to make you a little uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. You'll discover the mercy of God, and that's really a good thing. So please grab a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse 9. As always, a transcript of this podcast, as well as worship and study resources, are available at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Let's dive in, beginning with a prayer. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Amen. So, a reading from Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, and do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here ends the reading. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's dig into this passage a little bit. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, says that love must be sincere. Or as another translate, translation puts it, let your love be genuine. The word for love here is agape. It's a love that means the mutual goodwill and benevolence of a Christian, of a Christian community. Your love ought to be the genuine article, the real deal, literally lacking hypocrisy. The benchmark and proof of legit faith is legit love, Paul says. 
And so the rest of this passage is a description of what that genuine Christian love looks like. And he starts with this contrast. He says, cling to what is good and hate and steer clear of what is evil. Now, let me be clear that the Bible never tells us to hate anybody ever, including this passage. This passage is telling us to cling to what is good and therefore put distance between you and what is not good. Paul wants us to spend our time and our energy focused and centered around that which is good. In Philippians, he puts it this way, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, Christ-like, think on these things. Because any amount of time and energy that we dedicate to other stuff is a waste of our time and energy and is not love. So cling to what is good, hate what's evil, walk away from it, don't go there, resist the dark side, cling to what is good, and treat what is evil like it's COVID-19. Genuine love, Paul says, it's about community. Paul says in verse 10, we're all in this together. Make sure you have each other's back. Find ways to honor one another. Back at at Marcus Daly Hospital, we called this managing up. When we were introducing a patient to a new doctor or hospital personnel, we would always try to do it in such a way that inspired confidence. Mrs. Johnson, this is my friend Nurse Becky. She takes really good care of her patients. I'm leaving you in good hands. That's what Paul means, to show honor to one another. It's professionalism. Verse 11 uh, talks about keeping your energy and enthusiasm up. And verse 12 talks about being a non-anxious presence, being patient in affliction or steady under pressure. And that's the way it is, right? Sometimes the loving thing to do is to press forward and demand change. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to step back, calm down, encourage everyone to take a deep breath. Be generous to the needy and to the stranger, Paul says in verse 13. Christian love cannot be limited to just insiders. The word hospitality is philozenia, love of that which is different, love of the stranger. We use its opposite more often these days. We talk about xenophobia. Xenophobia is the fear of that which is different. Christians, Paul tells us, are to be xenophiles, not xenophobes. Verse 14 echoes the words of Jesus when he said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love means that you, try to stop, you stop trying to fix other people or their problems, but spend more time simply being present with them, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. That's what he says in verse 15. And then in verse 16, he's starting to sound a bit redundant. Live in harmony, stay humble, don't be a jerk, tip well. <laughs> And finally, in verse 18, genuine love knows that there's room for everyone at the table. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, he says, live at peace with everyone. There is so much that I can do to contribute to peace with my neighbor, and there's only so much that I can do to contribute to peace with my neighbor. But that's what love looks like, Paul says. Do that. Which, of course, is easier said than done. Try harder, do better, care more. As noble and true and helpful and biblical as these exhortations may be, 
they are also quite literally the death of us. For starters, none of us does life perfectly. In fact, most of us are pretty bad at it. Just look around, watch the news, check the mirror. Left to our own, we either fall woefully short of the mark, which leads to despair and damnation, or worse, we allow ourselves to believe that we're succeeding, that we are, in fact, doing it all right. And this kind of self-deception, well, it leads to pride and then to resentment of other people who fail to measure up or who don't really deserve our efforts or who don't truly appreciate what a gift I am from God to the world. Best pastor since sliced bread. Amen? See, this is the trap, the challenge of sin. It is so crazy, but it is so true. You see, the revolutionary message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law. But the next thing you know, having enough faith or being a good person has become the new works righteousness. Where did anybody, where did anybody get the notion that you get into heaven because you're a good person? What the heck does that even mean? Jesus even thought that line was BS. Why do you call me good, he said. No one is good except God alone. When did people start telling ourselves, when did we start telling ourselves that as long as we aren't as bad as so-and-so, we qualify as being good, a good person? When did Christian life become believing in this sort of self-righteousness? When did Christian hope become the hope that we were good enough? Is that what is supposed to pass as good news? Good Lord. Folks, this is a hugely personal matter for me because it's at the heart of what you might call my conversion that took hold of me about 10 or 15 years ago. I told you that I was a Boy Scout, right? And that I've always been good at looking the part, checking the boxes. Trustworthy? Check. Loyal? Sure. Helpful? Okay. Friendly? Yeah. Right down to clean and reverent. A pastor's kid, a Boy Scout, never get in trouble. And this, I thought, was working for me. I got credit. I was rewarded for my good behavior. Got a beautiful wife, loving, healthy family, relatively successful career as a pastor, and dashing good looks. Theologically, I knew that I was a sinner, and I said all the right things, all the things I was supposed to. In fact, one day in Helena, Montana, I was at, at home working on a, on a sermon when a couple of LDS missionaries came to my door. Finding an excuse to take a break from writing, I welcomed the two young men into my home, and we ended up getting into a conversation that took us to the topic of sin. At one point, uh, responding to my honest confession of my slavery to sin, one of the young men helpfully offered the observation. He looked at me and said, you're not that bad a person. And I looked at him with wild eyes, and from the depth of my soul, I said, you have no idea. See, I was a good pastor. I was a good person. I was a good theologian, see? I followed the list. But I look back now and I recall how judgmental I was toward other people, especially other pastors who weren't as good at it as I was. 
And if I'm honest, even my encounter with those two LDS missionaries was more about a theological gotcha moment, more about a sermon illustration that I could use someday in the future that would make me look pious and humble, than it was about genuinely grieving in my heart for the depravity of my soul. And so years later, when my ministry um, hit a few bumps, I tried to blame others. I tried harder, I did better, I cared more, and my heart grew colder and my thoughts grew darker. And the voice of God finally broke through and came to me one day and said, Doug, would you rather have a successful church or a relationship with me? And I was convicted and truly ashamed by the answer that I knew was true in my heart because I wanted a church that was successful so that I could look good and earn my place in heaven. And it was all about me. And God opened my eyes to the true state of my depraved mind and my hardened heart. And God showed me that I wasn't the best pastor since sliced bread, that I was in bondage to sin and could not free myself. I had lost sight that the church was the bride of Christ, not mine. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus did not give up on me. My healing and gradual repentance came while working as a hospice chaplain in Montana, while pastoring a couple of very small, very beautiful, very faithful, and very not successful congregations. Hospice, you know, teaches a person that you have to measure success differently. After all, everybody dies, right? Hospice taught me to lean into the mercy of God at the deathbed, at the graveside, preaching for food. The church is the bride of Christ, not mine, after all. And I came to learn and understand that she is beautiful even the congregation of six people cleaning up the broken glass in the sanctuary from a vandal's thoughtless rock, especially then. And I heard the voice of Jesus speaking to my heart, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, not merit badges. The creator of it all, including you and me and sliced bread, the God of Jesus Christ is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God does not regard us according to our sins, but according to God's great kindness. I'm not making this stuff up, by the way. This is straight out of Psalm 103. God has compassion on us as mothers and fathers have compassion upon their children. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's mercy, people. <laughs> it's about mercy. While we, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, that's really in the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yep, that's really in the Bible too. It's gift. It's all gift. God in Christ Jesus has done for us what we could not and cannot do for ourselves. This is the mercy, the undeserved kindness of God for you and for me. It's not about us and it never was. It's not about all the great things we can do for God. It doesn't depend on us, which is a good thing because we really aren't all that good at it anyway. But God is good, and God is good at it. 
God is the one who is making all things new, redeeming the world, and reconciling all things and all people to God's self through the already accomplished saving activity of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the mercy, the mercy of God for you and for me. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, our hearts filled with the Holy Spirit, saturated with God's word, ourselves put to death so that it is no longer we who live, but Christ living in us. We live into and out of the mercy that we have received. And we hear with fresh ears what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Not a checklist, but an invitation. Let your love be genuine. For the love of God, quit trying so hard to look good or be good. The world can spot a fake a mile away. There's a lot of evil out there. Don't get sucked into it. Instead, lean into the good stuff, the God stuff, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Go to bat for one another. See the beautiful image of God in everyone you meet and let them know what you see. Stay hopeful and positive. Keep calm under pressure. Pray like the world depends on it. Be generous. Welcome the stranger. Love your enemy. Pray for those who are out to get you. Spend less time fixing people and more time listening to them, especially when they're having a rough go. Celebrate diversity. Don't feel like you always have to be right. And while there is only so much you can do to promote peace, never forget that there is so much you can do to promote peace. Good luck, folks. And remember, it's not about you. It's all about the mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen. And we pray the last two verses of that hymn. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt pardon, welcome, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So that's what I've got for you today. Thank you for listening to this week's Will Preach for Food podcast. For more information about faith, as well as worship and study resources, you can go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can also listen to or subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other way you listen to podcasts. Please share this message with a friend and consider making a financial gift to faith using the link provided. Thank you, Chaz, for your production work. Thank you, people of faith, for your love and prayers, for your financial support. And thank you, God, for your mercy. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.